Hey guys, welcome to Minefields. It is I, <laughs> Joshua Michael, and this is my best friend in the world, Mr. Colin. It is Say, I. What's oh, up, brother? I really, I'm so loud. <laughs> Move the mic back. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, everybody. We have such weird noises to contend with in here. Yeah, aren't you like this staying? This is a different, a different venue. Yeah, aren't you staying like in a haunted hotel or something? I think it's haunted. I wake up every night. Several times a night. It's like it's not like I'm not getting any rest, but <clears throat> I wake up over and over again, and there is always something weird in the room, or there's some kind of crazy garbage going on in another part of the building. So yeah, I'm in this vintage turn of the century, not this century, the previous century, uh, hotel that's been here since statehood, uh, in you know. 1907. Um, what was that noise? That was me moving my mic. Oh, okay. That's a good noise. <laughs> yeah, we uh, honestly, everybody, two things. I am a little bit delirious from fatigue for the last, from the last two days. I didn't get any rest this weekend uh, also. <clears throat> and I'm trying to be quiet because I've got my boss upstairs and he likes to pace around when he thinks. Uh, so, and I've already told him not to do that. And then, yeah, it's crazy outside. There's a bar across the street. It's like being in New Orleans. And um, that sounds like yeah, great people to drive me. by with motorcycles. People are going to this dumb dispensary down the street. Uh, there's uh, people in every room around me. It's just, it's a noisy place. So if it sounds weird this time... It's going to do that for a couple of months, probably. <laughs> so get used to it. We'll try you, to record on weekends. You're stuck there, like, for months, then. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, I'm in my, my weird vampire hotel for a couple of months. Any horny ghosts? Um, I'm not going to say there were any horny ghosts, but there were, there were dreams that can't have come from just purely me. So I've actually got some... Uh, uh, I'm gonna smudge the place. Like I gotta go around in here and and smudge it. What the and hell is that? I need that to mean? do it at my. Oh, it's like when you get like a uh, a bundle of stuff and you let it burn for a second. You just go around and you smoke the place. Oh, you're Come gonna on, get, aren't you like you're gonna mostly get, Apache? You're gonna get some sage. Yeah, s- that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I thought like you were talking about some fancy like because you got to record there or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, we gotta we gotta go around and like cast spells to be able to record in places and stuff. No, no I, I did get some some cultured uh, uh, copper to set around. I haven't got to. I haven't. I, we only got into my my workspace yesterday for this job. Is that is that like some sort of movie slang term that you and your buddies? <laughs> Oh what shit! The hell was that's, that? my, uh, <laughs> that's my buddy's ringtone. <laughs> yeah, every time he calls, I'm like, John you Cena. can't see me. All right. well, I, I was I'm just, at the t- I was just that's thinking hilarious. You had some fancy term for like you and your buddies sneaking into some construction site and sealing some copper wire for your movie. <laughs> no. 
I'm trying to try, let, me, let me text him back and tell him I'm in the middle of something. <laughs> That's this, so, so great. The production values on this porno you guys are shooting are ridiculous. You guys have, you guys have <laughs> yeah, been when you can get John Cena rapping on your pornos. <laughs> <laughs> I we couldn't get John Cena to appear in the porno, no. but he did license us a song. He did license a song, and he's, he's actually there. You just can't see him. He did the best impression of Hulk Hogan one time on like the Maya Rudolph show. Oh, Dude, yes. Yes, I want to see that. You will feel the tender embrace of Hulkamania. <laughs> you, <laughs> you will experience Hulkgasm after Hulkgasm in the sold-out privacy of this here bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> sold out. Usually, yeah. guys, usually usually uh, we have a little bit more energy, but we I am still fucking pooped from this weekend, man. CSW is turning into PWG, Pro Wrestling Gorilla, for the uh, uninformed. the Anyone worth their mustard uh, that is an all-elite was <laughs> PWG, and we're turning into that, and I'm pretty goddamn proud of it. And, you know, we're, we're setting rules down, like, you're not training? You're not getting booked. <laughs> we don't give a shit who you are. Awesome. Doesn't matter. Got to make gains. Yeah, no, it's and it's not just about being like a shithead elitist. It's it's about like uh, we're getting amazing talent that are training all the time, and we need to make sure that they're protected, and we can't have them in the ring with someone who hasn't fucking trained in three fucking months, which is bullshit. You can't do that. You can't just show up from face value alone, and and we're getting over without even having a book like. Uh, some big name dude to you know come carry the show. Like we had 250 people at the show the other day. It was that's a lot a good, I feel like that's a good number, especially in the COVID world in, will, this, in this first year of the plague. We were outside, so everyone was socially distancing. Um, if you wanted to come in my booth, you had to have a fucking mask. Um, so I threw down my first DJ set in like 10 years, and then I knew, damn near had a panic attack the second I hit play. <laughs> But uh, man, that was a good set too. I really liked that. You just sent it to me, and I didn't really know why. And I clicked it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is cool. What is this?" Mm. And I felt like those two kids who are uh, doing the doing the music reviews lately on YouTube. I'm just like, "Uh, uh, this is cool. What is this?" And then it finally finally hit, and I was like, "Oh, all right, all right." And then I started texting you about it when I was uh, listening to it a little bit later. I was just and pre- yeah, that was it was just great. It was uh, great to hit that. I was just trying to pretend I was a uh, DJM, but not nearly as good as him. I was just mixing shit that just just to mix into it. Fucking Rob Zombie out of fucking Elton John remixes and shit. Take- <laughs> Elton John and the Rob Zombie. You taking pictures? I'm sending out a photo of us to uh, to my to my assist on my job who. Is really, really excited about really podcasting because he does a YouTube show about fishing. <laughs> so that's cool. Yeah, shout out to my to my boy Chris on his YouTube show uh, that he does for his uh, his lures he makes. Uh, check out Crank Your Yank, or maybe it's Yank Your Crank. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm I don't know. It's on the back of his truck, and I see it every day. And he'll wear it's Yank Your Crank because he's got a ball cap. It's Y U K across it. It's funny. Hopefully, he doesn't hear it in the cold. Hopefully, he doesn't hear this. It's Yank Your Crank. Check out Yank Your Crank, everybody. If you've been lying about listening to his show for the past couple of weeks, oh, I'm that's not what I'm saying. What are you, uh, what do you call He's so busy. 
Sorry? What do you call an what? assistant on a porno film? Like, is there a special term for <laughs> I know they've got fluffers. For, for what I do on porno films? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm the stunt cock. <laughs> You're the stunt cock. <laughs> stunt cock. This this just went way. This is a rated R episode. This is, in this case is, you all were wondering, this is a, in case my eleven year old is uh, watching the show or listening or whatever. You think he listens to it? No, no, I don't. I think he's fascinated with the idea of doing a podcast because he. How do I get at this story? Um, somebody his mom knows in Kansas has a kid who's remotely my boy's age. And who does a podcast about Pokemon. And I'm like, well, you know, you could totally do a Pokemon podcast. And then I don't get to see him all the time, so I don't get to have him over, because he would have just used our equipment, right? And uh, <clears throat> all I wanted to do was just record him talking about Pokemon and then, like, upload it. Would have been nothing. And then COVID hit, so I don't have him coming over. And I was just thinking about that when I was getting cleaned up after work. I was like, what if I just got him some equipment and... See if he figures it out. And then I thought, maybe he'll be irresponsible with a computer. There's all these silly things, but if he just recorded it, you know, then somebody else could, we could upload it. I could upload it. Put it just, hey, I'm going to put your podcast on YouTube. We could host it and for him. I think, yeah, we could do, a, do, do, do my boy talking about Pokemon. And I'm like, because it's, I don't think that he would necessarily be so structured initially. Mm -hmm. It'd just be a lot of free association. But then I think that eventually he'd start to figure out like, oh, well, I really liked what I did there. And I did, I really liked that. And then he'd be, he'd nail it down. It's like, cool, do a dragon episode. Now do one about fire types. Or Why whatever. don't you do one about blah, blah, blah. It works. Why don't you have him send you a proposal about how to build a Pokemon set? Like, your very first Pokemon deck. I, yeah, there's no reason not to. There's, that's a good idea. Like, that's a really good way to go about it. I don't know if he completely understands the, the statistics, necessarily, for what card types you want to use. Because you and I talked heavily about that with Magic, and it's not that different for Pokemon. No. But uh, I think when you're doing... I feel like... And, and you know what? Yeah, no, I don't need to go down that road. But, like, uh, yeah, there's any number of ways... Get him to, just, you know, for me to just sit there and record him for like 15, 20 minutes and be like, hey, here's your first podcast. All you got to do is just talk about grass types or something. Whatever he wants to do, man. Let's but, have yeah. some fun. People, uh, people, yeah. like, people like our show that listen to uh, play Pokemon. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> we're doing our best, guys. I will guys. say this. If we're going to say anything else about Pokemon, I just want to say uh, that uh, last night, right before bed, I'm in bed, and I was like, oh, I'll just check, because there's Pokestops literally everywhere around me. This is a very historic town with a lot of uh, memorials and, and stuff like that. And uh, so there's Pokestops every place. And I, I just turned it on. I was like, oh, look, a Meowth. Caught the Meowth, double-checked it, 100% Meowth. I was like, with a really, really high CP, I was like, man, that's phenomenal. And it's not going to cost that much Stardust. You don't even know what I'm talking about. No, I have but no those idea. Those people do. <laughs> uh, if uh, if you guys were filming the the porno, would you uh, interrupt it to catch a Pokemon <laughs> coming out of some chick's pussy? <laughs> Which well, would be if she was. Oh my gosh, dude, that's <laughs> that's vile. That's vile. 
Would it be a Pokemon, or would she be giving birth to, like, an Ultra Ball? I don't know. Which might be a little bit more comfortable. It, it sounds pretty cool as long as the other guys on set don't snag it first. Dude, yeah, no, don't do that anymore. <laughs> That's a terrifying concept. There's so many unbelievably hideous Pokemon that you don't want to uh, experience natural birth with. I'll tell you that much. They got spines, and some of them are metal, and some of them are... Well, yeah, this is gross. I don't even know how these things, how Pokemon actually, you have male and female Pokemon, and then you have other Pokemon with no gender at all. Uh-huh. And, uh. All inclusive, that non-binary, yeah. there we go. Yeah, non-binary, because they're, like, genderless. That's fascinating. Yeah, like, my favorite, my, my hundred percent, my Hundo Lugia, or Lugia, I don't know how you say that one, but is a, uh. Is a genderless Pokemon, but it's mythical, so it's like, does it really exist? Would would you, for the right amount of money, help be a production assistant on a pornography? Um, well, I mean, for one thing, on a pornography. <laughs> <laughs> for one thing. For another thing, um, I think the opportunity presented itself when I lived in Burbank, because, of course, I... Uh, I knew guys that were um, grips and a gaffer that had done porn in Venice, And, of course, my girlfriend at the time lived in Venice, so you knew that it was happening somewhere all around there because that, that was the, the valley? capital of pornography. Is that the it valley? It was up in the valley, yeah. Yeah, for real. But um, I, think, so I think a lot of... I think that, you, that, that a lot of it happens in Venice because Venice as a... Uh, as a um, metropolitan area or maybe like a... I'm trying to think of the right succinct term, but basically the city lines go up the hills to the south. So if you're watching pornography, you see all of these upscale homes and there's always (laughs) some thing where somebody's walking around on a balcony or there's a pool involved and there's a nice view of the valley because they're not looking down into Hollywood. Yeah. They're looking up into the valley. It's just geography. But, yeah, that was the capital, you know, in the early 2000s when I was living there anyways. But nobody ever asked me to work on it. The closest I ever got was when I was working on the auction. And we, uh, you know, the company had the retail stores. And I remember going in one day and this guy was buying up all these really cheesy uh Secondhand military stuff, uh, just really terrible camo pants and like load bearing equipment and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, you're getting the. He was on the phone too, and he was a real Chad. Like he was built and he had this, you know, prippy little yeah. haircut. And he's buying all this stuff and he's on the phone. He's talking about production. And I was like, oh, hey, I'm in production. And like an idiot. And I'm going like, Oh, like everybody in town is not in production or something. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I was trying, cause I was going to see, I don't know. I, was, I didn't know who he was. And he was like, Oh yeah, I'm talking about doing my next show. And I was like, okay, cool. What are you, what are you getting ready to do? You're buying some very eclectic, an eclectic array of costume here. And he was like, Oh, you know, we just do these, you know, we do little, little, little shows and what and ultimately I was like, Oh, you're buying all this weird camo and weird stuff for a porn, and they only need to wear it for a second. I get it. So it doesn't have to be 
amazing. It didn't have to match. <laughs> I never thought about it that before. It didn't even have to be good. <laughs> like, that was the funny thing I remember about the first movies I ever worked on is that they were all technically horror movies. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who's in it. It doesn't matter how much money you spend. Everybody comes to a horror movie because they want that thrill or they want the concept. You never go because Brad Pitt is in it. You're just like, no, what's the concept? So the porn is the same thing. Do you care about anything except whether or not this is your thing? And so it doesn't matter. The production value never, ever matters. All you have to do is be attracted to one person in the thing, and then you're probably okay. That's a good point. I think about that stuff on a sociological level, on the cultural uh, collective consciousness. Like, what is it that appeals to anyone about what they're watching, whatever the concept is, whatever who's in it, you know? Like, oh, well, yeah, you know, I'm going to watch something because Michael Mann directed it. We're going to read something because Grant Morrison wrote it. We're going to read something because Stephen King was involved or because he actually, or whatever, you know. I'm going to watch this Dollar Baby. Do you guys remember, do you remember Dollar Babies? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to watch this Dollar Baby because Stephen King sold it to for a dollar and some, let's see what these people can do with this thing, you know. I was in a Dollar Baby and at a, at a level it's like, oh yeah, you know. You know he saw it, and he and he had something to say about what you were in, and they're, they're, it's just weird these these connections. Why does anybody do anything? Mm-hmm. So I mean, I've done really far right agenda, not that far right, but I've done I've done like conservative and liberal agenda pieces and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, Very I don't know, dude. I mean, what? Yeah, somebody's gonna pay you. You're gonna show up and you're gonna do that work. I mean, all right, it's, it's a job. I heard, I heard that uh, it's like 99.9% controlled by the mob. Like after a while, when the mob finds out sure. that you're making money, they come and knock on your door and say, uh, you owe us this much money. And then I was listening they'll to... they'll shut you down? Yeah. yeah no, I, the, I wouldn't put the, it past them. Yeah, the other thing is, uh, the other thing is that um, I was listening to Barry Sonnenfeld talk on Mark Maron's podcast. I can't listen to that fucking podcast anymore. That guy is so goddamn fucking depressing. Like he's, I never liked Mark Maron. He's he's There's so a fleeting thing to like him in Glow. He exactly he's. There's nothing wrong with him. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he was talking to Barry Sonnenfeld, and Barry Sonnenfeld he started out making pornos, and he's like, yeah, the, one of the things that you have to get used to is the smell, <laughs> the, room, the the room full of smells. I bet. Uh, room, so yeah, I was I just bet. and I was just like, oh, I'm never watching a porno again. Thirty minutes later, <laughs> <laughs> nah. Yeah. No, wait, no, say that. So say what, say what you said again. Oh, about the mob. I mean, one of the things that always compels me, uh, and it's like on a creative level, you think about that scene in The Godfather where uh, the adopted brother, oh, what's his name? I don't know. Uh, it's, um, who's the actor? Robert, Robert, uh, Robert De Niro? God, I'm so sorry. It's not Robert De Niro. No, it's the one that looks like my grandfather. Uh, it's not Michael. It's not Al Pacino. It's the adopted brother, who is the con- consigliere. And I'm sorry, guys. I don't speak Italian at all. Yeah. Um, who's the lawyer? And he's like, he's trying to say, you know, hey, you know, we've got to consider this. We should think about selling drugs. There's a lot of, we got to make money. 
you know, the family needs money to be able to remain relevant. There's a lot of money to be made in that white powder. And Michael's like, no, we ain't going to do that because this, you know, we run, we run the books, we run the gambling, we run girls, but like, that's, that's no good. But like, that's this weird moment in time where drugs took the place of alcohol, took the place of all of these, you think about these staples of, of, uh, law, law of, uh, of non-law abiding work. And you think about like the, the, uh, Goodfellas and you watch those scenes where they're like, they're trying to break into parking meters to get the change. <laughs> like that's how much they need money. It's not that these guys don't have money. They could sell everything they have and they could come up with next month's kickback to the guys back East. Right. Right. But they're breaking into parking meters to get the change out. And you're like, that's desperation. And then you got Michael, Michael Mann's character, Michael Mann. Uh, I'm so tired, guys. I'm so sorry. The, you got the guy that they're all working for who's like, we got to get money. We got to do something. What are we going to do? And they're trying to figure out what their next big score is because if they don't come up, if they don't produce, they're going to be, they're going to owe. And then they're going to look bad. And then what happens after that? It's this tiered system of where is it until they start breaking your thumbs and then they break your legs. And then it's like the bookies, you know, they're coming after you for stuff and they're going to hurt you. And it's like, when did someone decide, yeah, we're going to take over this porn racket? I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a really roundabout way to get to that point. But like there's money to be made in that. You know, when when anyone realizes there's money to be made in that. The mob is going to step in, and that's just the way it is. I've I've gone back and looked at all of these things. I'm not I'm not saying that this is a thing now, and I'm not espousing anything. But I think about like film unions and all of these other trade unions and how influence. I watched a really great show on Netflix recently, a three night uh, thing called Fear Fear City about the mob in New York in the '80s. It was fascinating. And about, you know, Rudy Giuliani coming after him and everything. And that was it. It's like, where do they get their money? How do they get their money? It's an amazing program. I really recommend it. Anyway, yeah, we got stuff to talk about. Yeah, like comic books, which <laughs> apparently, according to DC, isn't very lucrative right fucking now. Uh, so I guess the Dude, mob won't be real. jumping in on that one. Uh, that was that was a heavy blow for DC. They just started what they laying say? Tell people. Tell me about it. They, they just start laying people off, man. They're cutting things. They're cutting. The, they're trimming the wow. fat. Wow. They're trimming uh, the fat. My yeah, I don't want to say what I know about that. I because I feel like I got. Um, yeah, I don't want to talk. I can't. I, I'm not going to talk. I, I I can't speak to that. Basically. <laughs> well, the mob's not in the comic book industry as much as we understand. But what we're going over today <laughs> is uh, Giant Size X Men number one, Phantomix. Uh, I'm going to mm-hmm. talk about the last three issues of Ice Cream Man, uh, which is uh, 18, 19, and 20, Star Trek Year 5, number 13, Empire Celestial Messiah, number 1, I'm going to shit on Deadpool, number 6, and then my favorite comic of this week was Big Girls, number 1. <laughs> what, Dude, lead us off with that. I want to know what that <laughs> book's all about, and I know you talked about it before, but all right, let me pull it up. Me up. Let me pull it up. So Big Girls, number 1. Image by Jason Howard. Artwork is definitely emotive. It's that real, like, kind of uh, nuanced, scratchy type art. A lot of, a lot of, uh, 
just a lot of line work. And line work. Yeah, a lot of line work. Story and art by Jason Howard. So he did inking. He did it's all digital, inking, coloring, you name it, and lettering by Phonographics. It is the future outside of the preserve. Uh, very interesting concept. Um, how can I put this in a nutshell? It's the future, and what happened was, quote, the mistake. There was uh, some biogenetic engineering that resulted in people being born that the boys would grow up to be to be monstrously like you know Godzilla sized, and eventually mutate into monsters like actual legit monsters and the only ones that didn't were the women so it happened so quickly and so many so many uh, of of the the men mutated and destroyed so many parts of the city that they realized that only the women the cities uh in the pres- oh, is now known as the preserve that the the big girls the big women what they call them the big girls uh are now pretty much policing the outskirts of the preserve and it's it's one of those I'm curious if it's one of those political pieces type things. I, I got to read a little bit more about it. Uh, more issues come out when it comes to like because they definitely talk about gender. That that's an issue. Um, also, the fact that we're becoming more and more in a, a police state. You know, we've got this new McCarthyism. That's for sure. This new McCarthyism coming out called cancel culture or what? Like they, there's every month there's a new term for it uh, to just cue someone of someone and just destroy their lives, whether they're innocent or guilty or not. Cause there's, you know, innocent until proven guilty is no longer a thing. Not like, not like it ever really was. Um, you know, so these, these big girls are part of an organization that may or may not have been responsible for this whole mess, but we get introduced to the situation by the, the cops are trailing some guy that's buying way too many groceries and they follow him to his, to his apartment and why the hell do you have so many groceries and why ain't so goddamn fat? And they break into his home and he's got a, <laughs> his son who's probably three years old is probably 15 feet tall and just a baby. And it, there's a lot of moral implications here because right off the bat, the, you know, he instructs them to it's wrestle time. And then there's like, yeah, wrestle time. And the kid starts like just annihilating everyone in the room. Cause he thinks it's time to play and wrestle. And, uh, Wall gets blown out, the kid falls out, the big woman catches him, and the main bad guy puts a bullet in the kid's head. The kid's brains are all over this, this kid's brains are all over this woman's hand. And she she finds herself with the, the moral dilemma of what's good and what's evil, am I am I part of the solution? Am I part of the problem? And a lot not too many characters are introduced. Uh, but I immediately fell in love with everyone right off the bat. Sir, what number was that? What issue number? Number one. This is brand new. Oh, okay, man. I feel like we talked about that before. No, but that is. I, that is I dig a, it. A whole different concept. I dig it. I'm not so sure how long they can perpetuate it. Yeah. Like maybe twelve issues, maybe six. Um, I want Dude. absolute success for this yeah. gentleman. It's a great mm-hmm. comic book. Definitely go out and get it. It's, it's definitely my image pick of the week. Um, but yeah, I don't have pick of the week. It, it's very hard for me to really. Like you, you really just got to go into the comic. It, it's, it flows really well. Like the action isn't mind numbing. Like just Hulk smashing everything. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. That's 
there's not too much to go into it other than the fact that I just really enjoyed it and I really want to see better, uh, more and more out of this gentleman. So that's all I got for that I think, one. I think, we, I think we need really big, heady stories right now. You know, I'm not going to say that there's a, there is a, uh, a lack of any kind of quality in the uh, flagship titles that we're all used to on, on any stretch. But I'm going to say that we need these heady books that can beg the question and uh, and uh, reveal things about us. And what's more... Um, well, it nourishes us. Yeah. Yeah, these, yeah this yeah. sort of thing is, is it's nourishing, especially right now. And, I mean, how many... I mean, we joked about it before we realized how long this might go on with no end in sight. You know, like, how much Netflix can you actually watch? Yeah, there's... There's enough. <laughs> yeah, There's I'm a- honestly back to uh, I'm I'm staying in this place, and Netflix is one of the options. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna make sure I bring all of my DVDs down. And I yeah, I uh, I rewatched. I started rewatching the last Starfighter last night until I passed out. Uh, you know, you just go back to those old classics. Just refer back to them again and again and again. Uh, give Love me s- give me some of that Phantomics, man, because I slept on Dude, this book like an idiot. I don't know. That, I mean, did you even see it when you when it, when you were out? I, I feel like it probably has a pretty low print run. I've got it. It's just in my stack. It's just I forgot oh, to I okay. forgot to read it. Dude, this was madness. I really. I mean, I'm not gonna say that I'm a huge Phantomics fan, but because it, he's one of those characters that there's so many good reasons to look at Phantomics. He's a Grant Morrison character who is so damned out there, so weird, that could only come from the mind of Grant Morrison. I'm not going to say there isn't like a Jim Steranko quality or anything else going on or whatever. Just somebody else, any number of other creators that we can admire and respect. But like this book pays homage to the original concept of Phantomex. It creates a new direction for the character and simultaneously says we're we're paying attention to his roots and the oddity that comes from what you can do when you've got Grant Morrison's mind. Uh, and then points it in a whole new direction where we can actually develop on this. What you're saying about big girls and what I'm saying about this is that these can be really awesome limited limited series that can propel things in a whole direction for however long and then let the next creative team come on and take over because that's the, that's the nature of the medium these days. Right. So what, what's up with this book? You know, God bless America. This is a Hickman book. Let me find the cover pa- or the uh, title page or the credits page for crying out loud. Um, flipping through this thing here. Da, 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 da. Oh, bugger me completely. There it is. Um, yeah, John Hickman story. Rod Race is the artwork. Uh, VCs Aranya Mailer. Ariana. Is, is it Ariana? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. My eyes are crossing real bad. I've never seen Ariana. her name before from VC. I have not seen that name either, yeah. And then Tom Mueller design, which I think is an interesting credit because we don't usually see it like that. But yeah, the panels and the page 
layouts are all very uh, uh, very different than anything else that's contemporary, and it it begs you to go back and feel things in that kind of 1999, 2002-ish uh aspect of comic book um artwork okay let's say i'm sorry <clears throat> but yeah and then there's all these other crazy little things like there it seems like there's this little made-up language written out in some places like it's iconographic lettering and you're like i don't know what that is or why but you know it's it's suggestive is it the is yeah. it the krakoan uh language you know what i don't know that answer here let me look at you see, uh you see that up at the top of the page there? Krakoan. Is that Krakoan? Okay, yeah. that's kind of awesome then. That that's actually that actually means something. Like there's a the alphabet is out there. I just haven't bothered to really go get it. See, that's the sad fact of it. I'm not I mean, no diss to anybody that you're going to go and you're going to do all this stuff that no one's ever going to look at or realize. And then you and then that we're not on it i'm not on it you're you're not on it because you're doing what you're doing and i'm not on it because i'm i'm doing what i'm doing and it's like going to that point it's like then we overanalyze the shit out of fight club three that ultimately maybe doesn't deserve that much attention right you know that's it's 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 a terrible hierarchy anyway so this one is issue one created or issue one the world and Unfortunately, I don't see Grant Morrison's name slapped on this anywhere, but but X-Men created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. So I feel like if you knew if you read this book everybody, you're going to feel that Grant Morrison new X-Men run that we've talked about so many times. But uh there's a recurring theme in this that's really really fun in that you've got Fantomic showing up in all these different time periods. So he starts out with uh, Sergeant Fury and Dum Dum Dugan and all of the other Howling Commandos, and they're going in on a raid into a place called the World. And every time Phantomix leads somebody in here, it's a diversion for him to get to a point. Correct. And then geometrically to the next point. And then geometrically the next time to the next point. So it's like, okay, he got to stage one. Then he got to stage two. Then he got to stage four. Then he got to stage eight. Then he got to stage 16. It's a geometric. Is that exponential or is that geometric? I don't Don't know. Don't answer that. I don't know. Don't answer that. But it's funny because, like, nobody can quantify the craziness that's going on in here except for Phantomix. So we don't ever really know when he started making forays into this facility called the world. And at first he encounters a, uh, like an 11 year old kid. And then the next time he goes in, he goes in with the hellfire club. So he's got Sebastian Shaw and he's got, um, Oh, whatever. A bunch of these dudes, the black queen and whatever. So so this is like a flashback uh, issue. It is. And you're reading it. And then that's what I appreciate about it because about the third time he goes in, right. he goes in and he goes in with um, some weird ass made up superhero team that we've never encountered before. And it was at that moment that I realized who it was that he was encountering out of their costume, but Weapon 15. Which so, of course, Finn. Uh, he's the villain that you, okay. So when you go, well, let me, let me, let me get to this. Let me get to this. So then what do we have here? 
but he's meeting up with Cyclops and Wolverine at the Hellfire Club of course. in Grant Grant Morrison's run. That was that, that was, was actually how happened. Fantomics was introduced to yeah. us. Yeah, okay, cool. I remember that. That's when Wolverine and Cyclops were, the Cyclops was actually getting drunk. And yep. uh, and uh they had that little conversation at the, was it you have a conversation with Sabretooth at the urinal or at something like that? At the urinals, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so they go into the world, and Wolverine and Cyclops immediately realize, oh, we're the distraction. Well, the what the legendary aspect of all of that is, that the access to the world allowed Wolverine to realize, to like, you know, we've always thought of him as having this amnesia. This was the moment when the amnesia was eliminated. Gone. Yeah. Because he remembered everything. He saw Weapon 1, Captain America, and then Weapon like 3, Nuke, and then all of these other weapons, and then he saw himself, Weapon 10. Yeah. I'm Weapon 10. I'm not Weapon X. I'm part of the Weapon Plus program. I always thought I was Weapon X. I'm Weapon 10. And then Phantom X, and then Weapon 15, the current weapon. And they were like, well, what do we do with that? Well, Weapon 15 is in a duplicate clone of Phantomex, and he is encased inside that costume, which is that weird, like, purple and navy-colored, electrified, spiky right thing. So if you go back and look at New X-Men and you get into that sequence, who was that? That was Bacalo art, right? Um, this art, art, wait, which one was Bacalo? No, no, not now, in the, in the New X-Men run. I think it was Bacalo. And, um, I don't think it was Bacalo. Uh, I don't know. If you figure it out, let me know. It was just so damn good. And so to see this catch up to that, and simultaneously, that's a crazy bit because we know Wolverine and and Cyclops survived that entire thing. And, of course, the Hellfire Club survives it. And, of course, the Howling Commandos survived it. And it, it begs the question, if Wolverine was able to gather some incredible information on himself, what did every of one of these other teams of people do? glean from their experiences in the world. Well, and that's that's my question. If I were at a panel discussion with Hickman, that would be what I asked. What what's the purpose of the of the flashback? Like to show how he gained the world or because I'm I'm flipping well, it was that he was created there. Is, so the Weapon Plus program is is responsible for yeah. the world. Okay, that's what I thought. Yes, yes, completely. It's a training ground for to create the most adaptable super, you know, weapon plus program persona that you could generate. And what's funny is that after Wolverine and Psyche, uh, Phantomex goes in and they, they warp in through Krakoa and they've got, um, God, I don't know who these guys are. We got storm and, uh, what the crap I've forgotten. It's been a week since I read this. I'm looking at cypher cypher. Yeah. With the, with the warlock arm. And uh, I don't know who the other gal is, but they go in and start. And then they've got an aim guy, just some rando aim guy in a beehive costume with a gun. And they they get into it. And that's how the story ends. And it's just like, dude, I can't wait to see what they're going to do with this next. The last Phantomics book, I think it had like a print. It, it like ran like three issues at most. And I only got to see two of them. So... What's it's one of those things where it's like, what are you going to do with Phantomex? You're going to take him out of his mutant element and just say he's this obnoxious fake French accent 
character. No, put him in the most mutant of mutant situations. Psychedelic, Grant Morrison, blah, blah, blah. Make him what he's supposed to be, and then see where it leads. It was just awesome. It was a why great is he, book. Why is he hanging out with the X-Men here? Is, is, or they're oh, always... it's a trick. He's, he's using them as a distraction to get him to the 24th level or whatever, you know? Gotcha. I figured that, like, when I see what's going on, because you don't just bring Cypher along for a, for a random reason. I'm wondering if, like, they brought Cypher in to read what's going on and communicate with with the world that in the first awesome. place the way that he... He's he's pretty much the only one that can communicate with Krakoa. Okay, that's badass. So, Man, I'm but, glad they're utilizing him properly. You don't bring Cypher into a fist fight. No. You bring Cypher into something you got to figure out, and I think that's the appeal of the X-Men. No, you know, I agree. You have an X-Man for every conceivable situation, and so that's the beauty of it, and I think that's the underutilized element of the X-Men that's part of the reason why I get bored with it. You get the same teams going out and doing the same crap over and over again instead of being like, look, I got a, play, I got a deck of cards of every X-Men. What team is the best to defeat this situation? Like making a magic deck, like making a Pokemon deck. How do I fight this problem? I need these guys. Right. And they don't all, we need one fighter, we need one, one tactician, we need a leader, we need blah, blah, blah. That's the beauty of the X-Men. And, and when they start figuring that out, that that's the best that they could do writing up these stories. And when they start utilizing their characters in that fashion, instead of just doing whatever's popular with, Fuck, I don't know. Stick Wolverine on every team. Yeah. Then they're gonna they're gonna have all new readership. That's what's been going on right now. Every single X book has been great. Hellions, Marauders, mm-hmm. you name it, because they've been able to do that. But not only are they able to utilize the good guys, but they've opened the gates of Krakoa to all mutants, uh, including the bad guys. In fact, they were collaborating with Omega Red, which was yeah. I love when the bad guys are at least as awesome. In the X Men, always as the good guys have been, they've never let us down. And I also got to say that I really appreciate every time anybody uses Phantomics, they at least keep him in his original costume, and they don't change it for the sake of trying to be clever and new. Right. This is a, gr- a great book. If you're a fan of Grant Morrison, a great book. If you're, I, and I, I really think this is going somewhere. I hope it's going somewhere. All these new giant sizes that have come out have been actually. Badass, the way they yeah. used to be, the way the annuals used to be back in the '90s when they actually meant something. Oh man, yeah, I've read some. I, I like get it. I like it when the annuals were cross-title promotionals and like Galactic Storm or the Terax Factor. Terax Factor? I'm not sure. Terminus Factor. The Terminus Factor. Yeah. Give us some Star Trek, man. Oh my God! I at least I at once loved and hated this issue. Uh, as we have been discussing recently with Star Trek, um, this is issue 13, and this is like the end of their five-year mission. They're on their way back to Federation space, and they've had all these crazy things where they rescued a Tholian child, and they finally found a way to communicate with it. Basically, Uhura found a way to communicate with this Tholian child, and uh, they had this whole situation with uh, um, the Ionians, and basically they're coming back into Federation space, and it's that that long, tragic, oh my God, this is going to be over moment 
for the whole crew, the five-year mission, the only successful five-year mission. And Kirk is feeling it. You know, this is the end. So this is a Jackson Lanzig and Colin Kelly writers, artist Angel Hernandez. Pretty great job. Uh, colorist Fran Gamboa and letter Neil Iwitake. Um, we had that whole business in the last couple of issues where Gary Seven attacked the ship and it was like, why? Why are you going to make Gary Seven into a bad guy unless you're really going to fix it later? And uh, so that left us like nothing really does anything for me there because there's no real backlash in this moment. Anyway, they're coming back into Federation space and they have all these Federation starships waiting for them when they get there. And some of them are, yeah, isn't that nice? Some of them are really, really brand new and some of them are maintaining the appeal of the original series. And I even see NX-class ships in this lineup, which I really appreciate them paying attention to. But at the same time, I don't know if those are practicable ships in the 23rd century. When you think about a crew of 80 people on a ship that can go at most warp 7, uh, I mean, they can haul, they can get there, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I just have things to say about that as a, as a puritanical of Star Trek. But at the same time, I got really disgusted because the admiral of this fleet that's welcoming the Enterprise back to Federation space says that he's on the Federation flagship. No, that's not right. The Enterprise is the Federation flagship. That is well known. I think that's an enormous continuity flaw. But what I do appreciate is that every character they interact with back in the Federation is wearing their Star Trek The Motion Pictures version uniforms. Cool. And they even comment on that because they're at a reception and Kirk is talking to probably an old flame who's now the judge advocate or the attorney general of the Federation. And she's like, oh, yeah, it was the women. They demanded pants. <laughs> so like they're that's a great answer. That's a great reason to change the uniform. Thanks to Kirk. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. The thing that really in- interested me here is that uh, the artist went so far as to put this new attorney general in the outfit of the Federation president from Star Trek four, uh, which I don't expect anybody to call to mind immediately. But if you see it, you're like, Oh yeah, totally. That's that guy's uniform. Um, and then they're immediately like under threat, like everybody's partying and everybody's happy because they're back. Uh, in the, like I say, it's the first five year mission to be successful, to not be lost in space, to not just disappear outright, to not get destroyed, to not get pulled into the conflict with the M5 computer or to get blown up in the Organian, the war that the Organians stopped or some stuff like that. But like, here we are and a Klingon bird of prey comes out of nowhere and they've got some kind of super weapon and they can read it, but they can't do anything about it. And they know that they'll lose the entire fleet in this star base if they don't comply. Well, the wacky thing about it is that Kirk is not entirely in charge because he's A, not on his own ship, and B, he's a captain in the midst of several high-ranking admirals. And uh, the Klingons, what do they want? They want to extradite Kirk and have him in a fight to the death. And why? Because he embarrassed them. (laughs) No, I, I dig it. Like... It is their religion, essentially, 
to die with honor. And Kirk has time and time again throughout the original series made them capitulate or made them quit by attrition or outright defeated them. And now there is a giant contingent in the Klingon Empire insisting that their uh, their entire ethos is at jeopardy because they have encountered this freaking human so many times who has outwitted them, and it's it's got massive cultural ramifications. And I'm like, that's a freaking great way to describe what Kirk did to the Klingon Empire. It's fascinating. So that is the A plot. The B plot is that all of these injured crewmen from the Enterprise are disappearing over to a new Federation medical vessel, and McCoy can't let it go. Dr. McCoy's like, yeah, this is not good. I don't, I don't, I, I'm their doctor. I should finish them up. Yeah. And he actually tricks Spock into going, getting dressed up as a doctor, and both of them sneaking on board this new starship, this new medical starship, where they find out that they're not really healing anybody. They're making them suffer through whatever it is that they encountered in deep space so that they can study it. And I'm like, shit, that is the most heinous thing I've ever heard. You have constant episodes of Next Generation or the original series where there's some admiral with their own agenda and they're screwing things up and they're not taking... That's the worst thing you can do is become a Federation admiral. You will immediately compromise your ethics by doing what you think is more important than the Federation Charter or the Constitution. You, you think you understand the greater good more than anyone else as soon as you become a Starfleet Admiral. is what it appears to be because they're constantly making horrible misjudgments. And so here we see, again, a tired old plot. Somebody in charge insists that there's a, there's a, we need to learn something from this. And here come some some Starfleet thugs in black uniforms, and they are <laughs> Starfleet pointing thugs. phasers at uh, Doctor McCoy and Spock, and they're like, "Nope, we're gonna. This is what we're doing. We got you guys captured. We can't let you go because you know there's no way we can let let the Federation know that this is happening." And I'm like, "Guys, obviously the Federation can't be perfect, but can we please, please, at least?" This, this kind of thing makes the hope for the future aspect of Star Trek a, a total loss. Or like, is it a necessary evil to piss people like you off? It could be. And if they can explain it away, I'm totally on board for the ride. But they have to be able to do it, you know? They have to be able to explain it away. See, that's I was thinking about that the other day. And this is a little bit off topic, but still kind of on was I find myself bitching like, man, this is like, why, why are they doing this again? Why are they doing this again? And then, like like I did with Empire. And then I read issue uh-huh. five, and I was like, oh, I should, I should have shut the fuck up. We just need to, <laughs> we need to have the whole story before we start truly bitching about it, um, as opposed to, uh, like, odd abstract things, like with Fight Club 2 and 3, where that was just like us just trying to like paddle our way up the stream with with this with <laughs> against this, we, the current yeah <laughs> completely against the current uh, with this yeah let's just give it some time before we start hating. Oh, I'm not necessarily hating. I just think it's a massive continuity failure. There's no reason to call anything but the Enterprise the flagship. 
But I gotta say, like I say, I really appreciate the obvious transition of the the uniform aesthetic and the starship aesthetic to the motion picture. I would love to see this book, you know, go into episodes or issues of, you know, Admiral Kirk and all of that stuff preceding the motion picture. Even I would love to see a new take in comic book form of Star Trek the motion picture and on a more personal level, you know. This 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 title has done wonders to get into the psyche of James Kirk and let alone Spock and McCoy. It's been so good. So anyway, yeah. Hit me up with some stuff. Deadpool number six. <laughs> I actually this is the first full Deadpool comic I've read in probably oh, I wanna say seven years because mm-hmm. It, it's just gotten so muddied, and I was like, you know, let's just give it a try. Let's let's give it a try. <laughs> we, we've got this amazing Greg Land cover where um, it's it's Greg Land at his talk best. Talk about porn. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, uh-huh. The the chicks look like standard standard Greg Land, but at the same time, though, uh, he he went a little little bit more wacky on his art form here. Like he he. He made it a little, um, not wacky, whimsical. Whimsical is the word, not wacky. Whimsical. I'm, I'm Good, educated. I'm educated. <laughs> you went to college. I went to college, goddammit. Writer. <laughs> is it a farce? <laughs> yeah. Kelly Thompson, artist. Uh, it was a writer. Uh, artist is Kevin Lebr- Lebranda. Color artist is Chris Sotomar. Uh, letterers, VCs, Joe Sabino. And, wow. Um, what a clusterfuck, man. Like, this is... Like it starts out with, it, it, it's it's what wacky thing should should we have Deadpool be doing now? And it's <laughs> I imagine that this is a really hard task for anyone to try to appease anyone at Marvel right now because you gotta sell we gotta sell Deadpool we gotta sell Deadpool. I, I can imagine like you know no this is too adult. Like, well, Deadpool's an assassin. He's always been an assassin. Like, no, no, no. He's he's a king now of uh, the monsters on uh, Staten Island. Like, oh, I'm, come and on. I'm like, what? And he's learning his his uh, subjects by uh, basically he's got Pokemon cards of him, and he's that's how he's learning. And he gets a hair up his ass about how much the X Men are assholes. And in order to get into Krakoa, had <laughs> uh, in order to get into Krakoa. Um, you have to be a mutant to be on the island. You have to be a mutant. Like it, they mm-hmm. will, they will know. And uh, turns out one of his underlings, he's he's just amorphous purple blob. Uh, Deadpool just wears him like a suit and uh, gets teleported uh, to Krakoa. And immediately, well, he actually doesn't get teleported. He walks through one of the the, the main gate in uh, Manhattan, and immediately they know he's there. And his quips are. Or just like, I, I can't imagine the headache Miss uh, Kelly had writing this. Like, okay, I gotta make it. I gotta make it a little bit adult here. I gotta make it. I gotta make it wacky for the kids that uh, bought this comic book. We gotta make sure that they think Deadpool's. Uh, Spider Man is always funny. Uh, like, I, I can't think of any yeah. time. I can't think of any time when Spidey's making his little quips that I thought, ugh, no, like like a bad dad joke, you know. 
I'm I'm sorry. Yeah, my head is really like I actually was like going back in my mind to all of these great moments in Spider-Man yeah. when you said that. I feel you. And it, I got I, I I got all the way back to 1987 before I had to. I was yeah. like, no, I'm expected to say something. Yeah, he's he's got a he shows up on the island also with a uh, a, a tiny little shark that can breathe out of water and fights in it doesn't really talk but it's basically a pet and I'm like okay so there's your baby Yoda your uh, oh god there, there you go there's your baby Yoda it's <laughs> way to go I I, uh, I really hope that the writers and artists get recognized for this and get to move on to something where they can be a little bit more creative or because uh, Deadpool is effectively ruined until he can't make any money and then someone's gonna come <laughs> uh, and then someone's gonna come along. And uh, and pick it up when uh, yeah take it do whatever you want with it we don't care about it anymore and then make it completely amazing and like wait Deadpool's cool again okay right we we've got notes now <laughs> um, artwork was good I think Ryan Reynolds fixed Deadpool he did whereas if did you ever read those uh, oh god what the hell were they called there was a title of a com- it was a newspaper comic so I don't mean to jump you but like there's a new a newspaper comic strip way back. Uh, that I read in the '90s, and uh, there was the the title of one of the collections was Orlando Bloom has ruined everything. <laughs> Have you seen those books? No. Let me look that up while you're doing it. No, Go not ahead. at all. Like, and then the only person who's friendly to Deadpool is Rogue, and she stops him from being an asshole because he demands that he gets a flower for his island to for a portal. He demands unlimited access to Krakoa uh, from Emma Frost of all people. And, wow, um, I, I feel bad for the better things that could have been printed on this paper. <laughs> like, like the, uh, like, a, like a, uh, a Rorschach of your butthole. <laughs> Something like it. that, or, or a guide of how to, how to find good water in the, in the wilderness or <laughs> something, <laughs> something fucking useful or this, this, this comic wasn't, was, I, I, I still have to say that whoever wrote it, Kelly, you, you did a great job with what you could. You, uh, I, I was thinking about that, that joke that Rogan does. It's like, uh, if someone hands you a sandwich and it's 90% shit and 10% ham, are you still going to call it a ham sandwich? (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. That's rad. (laughs) Oh, shit. Uh, uh, Well, I'm just kind of spoiled. Like, I had a conversation the day uh, while we were setting up the ring uh, with a really great CSW champion, uh, Captain Stevens, and he's like, uh, because he uh, wants to be on the podcast. I'm like, yeah, absolutely, man. You're great. Um, no, no questions asked. Let's do it. And he's like, uh, he wanted to talk about Deadpool. I'm like, okay, let's talk about Deadpool. But I got to let you know, like, I stopped reading right about here. And uh, he was like, okay, I know all about that. And we talked about everything before that. And, and you know, I was, I think one of the other reasons why I have a problem with it was how much I loved Daniel Way's run on it. Like the, 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 the oh, one that man. came out. The one that came out right oh. during uh, Secret Rain. Secret, I'm sorry, not Secret, uh, Secret Invasion. Secret Rain. <laughs> Yeah, I'm dude. Tired. Who do you want to write and revamp Deadpool? Somebody who's looking for a challenge that's been like pigeonholed for a while. Like someone, like imagine if you're just writing something really serious all the time. Um, yeah. Someone that'll man. Um, 
I would definitely be happy with Kieran Gillian writing it, as long as he wasn't. That'd given, be nice, yeah. If if he wasn't given any notes and told what to do, I would like to see Ryan Reynolds write a fucking Deadpool comic. It makes sense. Oh why my the hell? God. Oh why the my hell God. not? Absolutely. That's his baby. Only he if cares. Thomas Jane can star in it, though. Oh my God. <laughs> Thomas Jane, love that man. No, we're not talking about making a Deadpool movie. We're talking about a Deadpool comic. No, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I know. I am saying that, but I'm like, yeah. Oh, shit, dude. That would be awesome. Why not? It makes sense. Yeah. Oh, that dumb, that comic book that I, that comic strip that I was talking about, the newspaper strip was Foxtrot. 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 That's what it was called. By Bill Ahmed. I read it a lot in the 90s. Which... I did too, with that little kid with the glasses. Yeah, if you like the Big Bang Theory, you would probably like this because it's about a nerdy, super intelligent kid and his idiot teenage brother and his idiot teenage sister and his family that's not smart enough for him. And he's got all of these. He's got. I remember reading it and thinking like, oh, he's got a TIE fighter model or, oh, there's a... Death Star reference, or, oh, he's talking about Green Lantern, or something like that. Just back in the 90s, when a nerdy character with all of that stuff was not presented as hip. And that was the the aspect of it, was this idea that this kid was cooler than everyone else because he was smarter than everybody else, instead of just being, like, a collector or something. So... I don't know, man. It was, uh, but yeah, Orlando Bloom has ruined everything. Was a title that stuck with me forever, and I think you can, I think you can just imagine what what that pertains to. So, I think that he's gonna eventually wear down Hugh Hugh Jackman and get him to do Wolverine again. Oh, for sure, dude. I don't think I don't see why Hugh Jackman wouldn't want to do more Wolverine. Uh, I think obviously his age is a factor, but it's because it is so very, it's so much for anyone to get into that shape. But I did see some speculation about Shia LaBeouf. Dude, I... Oh, God, no. No, you don't think so? No. No, I don't know if he could pull off the amount of intense... That's the problem is I really... I. Shia LaBeouf is such a strange bird, but I absolutely love him, and I think that he I is... I dig him. Because his entire acting acumen is so on the surface, it's not... I just think he's an, un, an unstable person. And I think that's what's so fascinating about him. I, I was reading about him, actually, because I used to... Up until like probably two months ago, I just detested the guy. And then I, I listened really? to like an article or uh, listened to an interview or read an article. Like the guy had no childhood. And all he really wants to yeah, do is, yeah. you know, he, social skills are probably fucking terrible. You don't, yep. you, don't know, yep. you don't know how to interact with people. He just wants to be an artist. And he's doing his goddamn best. And he's, he, but, when, but the problem is, and I, I think I brought this up before in the podcast, is that when he fucks up, it's in the limelight, and, and like, yeah, yep. fuck that guy. Like, when I fuck up, it's like, man, I just got a couple people like, dude, don't do that again, dumb, dumbass. And then, you know, then it's not a big deal. Uh, I got a lot of sympathy for, for Shia LaBeouf for some reason. And I, I think if, if, I, if I saw him 
making mistakes on the street, I would do everything I could to help him. To try to get him out of one more situation where it's bad I news for him. I think he's pretty good. I think he's pretty good. Have you seen his perf- he got he got a lot of heat, and so did uh, a handful of people involved in it. But did you see the music video for Elastic Heart by Sia? Uh, no. You should watch that music video. Is that what those that little girl dancing with the the older person, like when they're in the same like naked suit? That's the one. It's him. I, I, it's Shia LaBeouf. I didn't know that was him. Dude, watch what he does as a performer in that. It's as much dance as it is just acting and theater. It is incredible what he is capable of. Like, the range. And at the same time, you can't help but look at his, like, being built and just go, oh, my God, like, this guy has transformed himself to find any way to be... um, to 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 be what people need him to be, and I don't think he's ever been able to be what he needed to be for himself. Right. I I ended up uh, the last time I was at home, I was uh, making dinner, and I had that. What is that show on YouTube or whatever on the internet of those guys, and they 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 have celebrities eat all of those different hot sauces on hot, wings. Oh, oh yeah, hot hot stuff. Yeah, that, I love that show. Hot hot stuff. Is it hot stuff or hot, hot mess? Something. It's hot something. I'm not gonna. Okay, dude, that that's a lot of fun because it's it's a different interview show. You know, Chris, you're not gonna get that out of Chris or what's his fucks. Uh, Chris Jericho Jimmy. was on it. St- really? St- Stone Cold was on it. Uh, no way. Uh, uh, Daniel uh, Levy was on it. Um, Brie really? Larson was on it. Yeah, there's been some good shit. Oh, I used to like her so much more. Um, I think that uh, yeah, the one I watched with Shia LaBeouf the other day was amazing. And it was one of those things that I, I couldn't turn away. I was like, man, I have got so many things I should be doing, but, like, I'm going to watch this while I'm eating and not answer 72 emails, you know? And it was so... It was an insight into his person. So I, I just got to say, man, I mean, like, wherever, wherever you fall on the Shia LaBeouf spectrum, I got to say, like, check out that music video because that's four minutes of gold. And then if you got 30 minutes and you want to put into it, you know... You'll have a whole different take on him as a person after that hot sauce business. All right. That was a whole episode we didn't intend to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're going to close this with Ice Cream Man. We're starting with 18 and... I got Celestial Messiah. Don't you shit... Don't, oh, don't yeah, you I get forgot. all ahead of yourself. I forgot. I, I left it out. <laughs> you, you give me some celestial... celestial all right, yeah, yeah. Let me do that. Let me do that real quick. This, I'll make this real quick. Uh, we don't know. We don't know. Who's the villain in the current, you know, cross-title promotional event in Marvel Comics? Empire. Hulk, Hulkling's uh, uh, grandmother disguised, disguised as the... Uh, his... Uh, Concierge, or whatever you want to say it. I don't. I can't remember what the, all the fucking titles. That's all she, so wacky. She's, she's the real villain. I'm really hoping you're going to oh, tell okay. me that this that this issue is describing Hulkling's uh, coming to terms with being a king and learning what should and shouldn't be done. No, this doesn't have anything to do with that. This is all about. Uh, this is about Koi, Sequoia. Oh, cool. So this is uh, Alex. Pac Metal writer Alex Linz, artist, uh, colorist Matt Yackley, and letterer VCs Ariana Mayer. 
Um, variant covers abound if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, the art is interesting, mainly like the, the layouts, the action, the um, like the opportunities taken to explore what's happening inside people's heads and to explore their emotions and their desires. This is all very well presented in the penciling and the layouts and the panels. It's very, very cool that way. And it has a very unusual color palette, this whole issue. Uh, lots and lots and lots of pastels and earth tones. But it doesn't stop there. I'm just saying that it's all built in that world. Uh, really, what... What's to say about this, except that Sequoia basically went on some form of vision quest in the past, and you start to see this kind of abusive relationship between him and his father, the swordsman, and who is not the swordsman. It's the swordsman that this Katari entity was born into, which to me is still like not well explained enough to make any sense. But, of course, somehow this character mated with Mantis, and they have this son that's a, a celestial messiah, human, tree, anthropomorphic uh, character hybrid. It's all wacky. Like, it's the craziness of, like, this is the backstory of how did Koi come into being? And how did the swordsman and Mantis get together? And it's an exploration of all of these things. But like I say, this whole issue is about desire. And it's like, what's the romantic desire? What's the personal desire? What's the professional desire? What's the societal desire? It's, it's amazing that I can even come up with that. Like, at this, A, at this level of fatigue, and for how well it was kind of veiled... It's not that it wasn't completely there. It's just that it was so subtly in invested into this, into this book. Um, Sequoia starts to get this vision of his mother, Mantis. And I remember from the Empire issues that I've read that there's this extra character floating around in some kind of bug-themed starship. And it turns out that's her because it's revealed she's projecting herself into Koi's mind from a distance of a thousand light years, which is quite a feat, I would say, of psychic capability. It's like Lalandra and Xavier. Oh, yeah, totally. Imagine that, dude. I mean, can you, that's it's interstellar. It's the movie Interstellar. It's it's so many amazing things. It's so many science fiction principles and premises all balled up into something that turns into a beautiful glass marble. And it's like being able to stay in touch with somebody at that great distance, being able to be in touch with somebody while you're doing something completely different and be totally prescient in that moment. It's a fascinating science fiction concept. And I don't think it's ever really explored as well as it could be. I think I'm going to have to do something with that because everything old is new again. But the whole business is that she is Mantis is trying to commune with Koi to get him to realize who he is and who he isn't and how he's being manipulated and pushed. And 
uh, all of that stuff. But he is just dead set on doing what he thinks he's supposed to do, and that's to lead the Katati and to be his father's son, whatever that is. But at the same time, I feel like they're at loggerheads because there's obviously what this swordsman version wants out of him, and then there's what what Sequoia thinks that if he can... Think of Darth Vader and the Emperor, you know? It's this idea of there's a baddie and there's another baddie, and they both have their pro, pro, their agendas that are not exactly the same, but they're both for the benefit of their people. And in the end, it's like, well, I'm going to achieve it this way, and I'm telling you to achieve it that way. And it's just fascinating because, honestly, this this book did what it was supposed to do. It took a character that we aren't terribly familiar with, who's part of the gigantic storyline that's going on right now, and it gave them a lot of life. It gave them failures. It made them three-dimensional. Made Sequoia a three-dimensional character that we can find more depth into. Something they couldn't do within Empire because they're, they've got to right. cram so much into it. So this is definitely it, one of the... Yeah. That I, I wish. Okay, I'm gonna have to go back and grab that one because the only other book that I've glanced at or actually read within the what's going on in Empire right now is X Men. X Men is ha- gonna they're gonna yeah, have yeah, a huge. Yeah. are gonna have a huge part of what happens in Empire, which makes me happy because it's it's encapsulating the X Men and not making them uh, second class citizens to the Avengers like what usually happens. That's pretty much what happens. I think that the Avengers are always right and they always stomp down at. You know, whoever it is that they're buddies with that crosses their crosses swords with them. Yeah. But uh, I'll go one step farther to say that there are flashback scenes to when Koi was a little kid in the neighborhood, and uh, he's growing up with these kids and making his own superhero costumes and stuff. Okay. And that it was really cute. And then there's another kick-ass sequence in here, going back to the Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy, focusing on some of, you know, Mantis's flaws, because everybody has their flaws in this. This isn't like, oh, yeah, what did you, what are you, why are you so right? And it's like, you know, they, 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 when they're in touch with each other psychically, they can get into each other's heads. It's not just a one-way street. And he's in there, and he's realizing, yeah, Mom, you screwed up. You did something that was awful. Also, you psychically convinced each member of the Guardians to stay together as a team, even though they never thought it would work. It was fascinating to, like, get that. So That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, that's what I really appreciate about a lot of the books I read this week was the appreciate... I, I don't know if I said that already, but, like, the, the, the looking back on where they came from and paying homage to it, it just... That stuff endears me to... A writing team because they know they know who their contemporaries are. That's what I got on that one. It's a good book. Those are the books that make you a better writer. Uh, yes, completely. And it's not something, I, and I I don't resent it, but at the same time, I'm like I begrudge. I'm like, oh god, I got this out of a out of a tangential cross culture or cross title promotional event book. You 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 guys. You got me. You got me. It happens every now and then, man. And it, and it does, it yeah. It happens. It feels good, man. Yeah. I'm hesitant to talk about Ice Cream Man because it's it's been such a – I've been in such an odd space for the past month in my head. And uh, mm-hmm. it's – I don't appreciate when someone is so, 
I connect with something so well. Like, like when was the last time you found a band that just blew your fucking mind? And like every 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 track, I got it's one. A, it, it, well, it's every it's it's every now and then, but. Uh, yeah. Ice Cream Man issues eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. Uh, it's the same. Uh, it's the same team for all of them. Written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by uh, Martin Morazo, colors by Chris O'Halloran, lettering by Good Old Neon. Now, <laughs> I, I finally figured out how to describe Ice Cream Man. Okay, first off, he's using Ice Cream Man because Ice Cream Man uh, after the eighties and after Billy Kincaid and Spawn. It, you know, it, it's just equated with like you know a, a a sinister being, like you know, like just get your ice cream. You know, you're not allowed to go to the ice cream man by yourself. You know, you know, when we were a kid, we could just run with our money, and like I wouldn't ever let my kid go by themselves to the ice cream man in their ice cream truck. Uh, the best way I could, <laughs> the best way I could describe it is, remember how Tales from the Crypt would start, and the Crypt Keeper would come out all creepy. It was the perfect music, and yeah. he'd, he'd introduce the story. And then he'd give you this, usually an ironic tale of the macabre or some sort of, it wasn't always supernatural it, or just really gruesome. Yeah, sometimes like, it's a parable or something. Yeah, like the, the episode sure. where the, the guy was constantly being mean to his wife and he all he wanted to do because he just retired and he wanted to, he just wanted to be a taxidermist in his garage and he kept being meaner and meaner to his wife. And then finally at the end, his, he came, his friend came over to the house and He's sitting there completely taxidermied. He pushed his wife too far. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. Think of it like that. But imagine is if the if the crib keeper fed off ice cream man feeds off human misery like an insect, like a parasite. In fact, he is an insect. Every now and then, you'll get some insight in what he actually looks like and what and that he he can actually go from parallel dimensions and feed off other creatures uh, of different ethereal whatever anything that what they're made of and what, what what's important to them and he not only feeds off of it but sometimes he chooses to uh you know pick up the the detrius at the end but sometimes he likes to interfere and make these monkeys dance and he shines in the, the writer himself everything is a metaphor the writer himself is shining lights on some of the deepest, worst parts of humanity, of, of, of the human psyche. Number 18, for example, is a, you get introduced to this man. He's obviously dying in, in his hospital bed, and he's being cared for, but these gremlins keep showing up, and he keeps, he's desperately trying to remember his life, and he's suffering from, like, hardcore Alzheimer's. But this, is, this issue is what it would be like, the, a, a horrific... Uh, idea of what it may be like to suffer from Alzheimer's. So he's desperately trying to remember his life and he remembers something and he's like, I got to remember that. I got to remember that. That's my mom. That's me. I was happy. And all of a sudden the gremlin shows up and starts poking and touching things in, in, in the memory. And then it just disappears. And it just, it just makes things just vanish like the Langoliers and, uh, and, and that Stephen King, and that Stephen King thing. Well, Los he, he, he wakes up and there's his son and the son's having problems and then he remembers something again and he's like, no, not this one. And he remembers his wife. He's like, no, don't make this memory go away. And it, it, it just, oh, it just, it, it just spirals. And then uh, they get to the memory where he's drinking himself pretty much to, to lose his family and the wife walks out and then it shows how the, the, the son is going through the same cycle and but these gremlins just keep erasing his memory and eventually it gets to the point where he 
his kids are standing by his bed, and it really hit me hard because when Jim died, uh, his wife told me that she eventually just kind of got fed up with it and sat up, sat next to him and said, honey, if, if, if you're ready to go, you can go. Like, mm. if you're ready, and then he breathed one last time and gone. And they, that's what his kids tell him. And he's in one final memory where he is he knows that he's lived a life, but he is he's come to the conclusion that I still lived, god damn it, and and how grand it was, which but then it, it's while it's disappearing, like the, the last panel is the gremlin finally coming up to him. Look look at that. Oh yes. And okay, so yeah. that so so that wasn't too bad. I mean like in terms of something to suffer with the next issue was a concept issue number 19 where it's broken down into like into steps into nine panels and steps how to how to become a ghost and be invisible and step one you know put this on step two go you know evade you know go out at night you know evade capture and while he's out pretending (laughs) while he's out pretending through the steps he, he sees He's peeking through windows. You know, these pe- these people are having marital problems, and he sees the, the a rotting body of a fox, and it's it's completely stylized off that. You know that uh, stock footage of that rotting fox that they've used it in everything. Um, I'm not sure I do. It, well, while he's ghosting around, he looks up and he sees this guy standing up over a ledge above him, and the guy's like, he's like, what what does that guy what does, what that guy's doing? And just boom, collapse, like dead at his feet. And then it goes to the next step. Instead of being a ghost, nomenclature, age 39, the ghost is now dead. And he's now wearing, instead of, the like, it shows, it broke him down before it happened. I'm wearing these killer kicks. And now he's wearing brogues, see, work shoes. And there's an appendix at the end of this. And step one, go to your shitty cubicle. Step 10, avoid going home. Uh, step 18, uh, get pissed off in traffic. Step 24, ignore the fact that your wife is leaving for the third time to go see her masseuse. It, it, it just broke everything down to where he remembered. All of a sudden, he heard the radio was talking to him, his, his own voice talking to himself when he saw that guy jumping off the building. And eventually, you know, he's old and he's dying, and he floats out into, into heaven. And, and uh, step, uh, step 35, you are seen, which was like, okay, so great. Like, it, it took one of those dark things and ended in some nice light place like the way the last one did where, you know, regardless of what you did, you still lived and it it was grand. This one, he floats up and it doesn't say heaven, but he's floating to the skies and he encounters other people. But then it ends with an index and it's like hands pressed to a point, page 15, lickety splat, page seven. Oh, no, 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 page eight. And then we get to, dude, it's, it's great. But then we get to issue 19, 20. And you know when you see those guys wearing those offensive shirts, like like that look like a uh, appropriation of like a kid's book, and they make it satanic or something like that. And you're like, okay, whatever. yeah, yeah, I've seen yeah, a bunch of true yeah. adventure like that lately. Well, this starts out with you see somebody cutting cutting carrots, and then they cut their finger, and they start splattering the carrots, the, the slices of carrots with blood. And the ice cream man is sitting in these two little kids' room, and they've got the same outfit as him. And he's like, 
let's read some stories. We're going to do three. And they're like, yay, we love stories. And he's like, okay, this this book is called Goodnight You, and it's appropriation of a – I think that's that corduroy book. Remember the bear? No, that that book is actually called Goodnight Moon. Oh, yeah, that one. And, that, you're, that's, you're yeah. right. That's mm-hmm. the one. So it turns the page, and, and in the small padded room, there was a tissue box and a boy with a balloon and a picture of a girl heating up a spoon. <laughs> and there were these cud- cruddy little bears sitting on chairs in a tiny toy house in a giant louse. And it, it, it just spirals. And good night, bottle. Good night, boat. And... He's like, yeah, we're going to do another one. We're going to do a third one. And like, hey, Dad, like, why do people go crazy? And he's like, oh, because they've got holes in their brain. And like, wow, why do people have holes in their brain, Dad? And he's like, I don't know. Why don't you ask your mom? And the mom walks in with the bloody fucking carrots. And, and, um, and she's just completely whacked. And, and he keeps saying, like, you know, say hi to Gary. And Mommy, like kids bloody carrots and she's got like the like her smile is like a forced like like joker gas smile like why am i smiling like this yeah and he's like honey you're frowning again and and uh he reads uh the loving tree which is uh it's a the the shell so that's an appropriation of the giving tree yeah yeah shell service but this is about a tree Mm -hmm. that loved this boy that was this complete fuck up and he the boy eventually just, you know, rapes somebody, does drugs, crashes his stepmom's car, uh, and eventually decides to come and uh, pour gasoline all over the tree and set it on fire. And this is what killed me, man, because, like, the, the last two had great endings that could catch people that were falling. But this one, it was just, like, I, I want to know what headspace he was in when he wrote this because I've, I feel like I know what sort of headspace I would have been in to write this. And... When the tree asked, why are you doing this to me? I've loved you your entire life. I even looked the other way that one time you reached your hand under Jenny Kurowicz's blouse, despite the fact that she clearly didn't want to. And the boy said, I've got a hole in me I can never fill. I'm going to do bad stuff all the time because I'm a broken person. I'll probably die before I turn 50 is my guess. And the tree burned down to nothing. And since there is a tree on a piece of land outside the jurisdiction of certain preservation laws, a developer paved the forest and sold the plot to one of those overbright big box stores. And the boy died before he was 40. And you're like, I'm like, okay, like this is getting a little dark. And he's like, Hey, we need some milk. And you know, where's your mommy with that milk? And he, they go out and he leaves and the kids look at each other and they're like, do you feel funny when he's around? And she's like, yeah. And he was like, he's not our dad. Our dad's name is Gary. What's going on? <laughs> I don't like these stories. And he goes, and the, the mom is, she's pouring milk everywhere. And and uh, you see poor dead Gary slouched over on a couch. Evening, Gary. And uh, he tells him the, the last story, weed laced with Coke, which is, uh, I can't, I, I don't know what Dr. Seuss book this was. I never was a big fan of it, but it was about how this, this gremlin was trying to get this little boy to smoke weed with coke uh, on a <laughs> in the hogue during the plague. Like it, like it just kept going more and more, just trying to entice this kid to do smoke weed laced with coke. And um, they read it without him showing up. And uh, while he's trying to get them to 
be under his spell again, the wife wakes up and makes a run for it. And he tells them the story about the mommy that went crazy. And it's it basically the, the, the mom sobered up, hauls ass outside running away and, and tries to tries to get people to help her. And eventually the uh, a, a sane asylum like uh, ambulance comes and picks her up and drags her away. And he t- says goodnight to the kids, and then, like, in the shadows, you see his lizard form. It it just got... This was so fucking dark. It, it I couldn't <laughs> have... I loved it so much. It, like, I, I love the fact that uh, W. Maxwell Prince could take dark things and make them light, but then and then be like... Because I read all three at once. Mm-hmm. And just take you to, like, just this fucked up, beautiful place of evil and torture and people that in what's because i know there's that it was shodan fraud when you enjoy someone's misery um i don't know but this one get up while you're telling me this one's more of a enjoy someone's torturous death while you're while you just showed up like the it oh I, I know exactly how to describe this. How, how to describe this? This is just like that that movie, Funny Games. Did you ever see that? No, I stayed away from that one. Listeners, if you've ever seen Funny Games, uh, issue twenty was worse. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, you were right. It's straight and fried. Yeah. But yeah, I appreciate you letting me go off on like just a. I needed to get caught up on Ice Cream Man. <laughs> it was weird it's like I, I made it happen with my mind because I had the books I was sitting at work and I was just so burnt out from the day and I was just really hoping that my like I, like the next hour I was just going to get a even though it's it's detrimental to my numbers that, that the next hour I was just going to get lots of time to read and every call that came in was going to be a call that shouldn't go to me and it happened mm-hmm. <laughs> It happened. I was like, I just want to get through these three books, and then I'll, and then, and then hopefully, finally, I'll get a, a call that'll let me do my job. And then it happened. It it was weird. Like it made it happen with my mind. <laughs> but man, I am. You put it into the universe, man. I'm so fucking tired, man. Like I, I, I think tonight. <laughs> I think tonight yeah. is gonna be the night where I get my rest. I, 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 I feel it. Like tonight, I'm gonna. Get some rest. I'm gonna wake up early and get some eggs and really kick some ass. Not me, man. I'm up past my bedtime. Yeah. Get up early and go to work. Make it happen. See what we can do. Push that limit. Pushing the limit. Yep. I'm in that. Guys, thanks area. for thanks for staying with us on one of our uh, actually one of our shorter episodes. Um, I think this is the shortest one we've ever done. Sorry, we like I don't know like. I'm usually a lot more boisterous, but whatever. We do good Sometimes work. we do a nice fat line of coffee, just snort the grinds, <laughs> butt chug a bread bowl or something like that. Right. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for that. Sorry yeah. about that imagery. Oh, uh, last but not least, uh, make sure if you if it's still on the shelves – Pick up uh, Maestro, which is a reprint of Future Imperfect by Peter David. It's Marvel Tales number one. It's on the shelves right now. It's If you want to know anything about Maestro from the Hulk, absolutely go grab it. But that's it, man. Uh, you I got wondered about else, that. No, I, uh, I rewatched uh, Endgame for the first time since last year because I'd never watched it since I saw it in theaters. 
Um, it was a sad movie. That's what I remember. I just thought, this is a sad movie. Yeah, they get all these people back, but, like, it's a mess. That's a mess. Like, that's that's a different different earth after that. You think we're living in something hard. Those characters are definitely living. I mean, you know, that's fictitious. But, yeah, I, was just, I could go on for a while about it. It was wild. Get some rest, brother. Anyway, yeah. It's time Mind to fields. crash. Good night, everybody. This, this is transmission dangerous. is over. Out.